This is a GRDC podcast. Five years of research emanating from a GRDC investment has delivered a comprehensive manual on weed seed banks, featuring around 25 separate weed species that growers themselves have picked as needing more understanding. Hello, I'm Chris Brown. The manual is called The Ecology of Major Emerging Weeds, and it truly is a must-have in your weed control armory. On this very special longer duration GRDC podcast, we speak to the three weed scientists who delivered this research about the headline findings and emerging issues in landscapes across the northern, southern and western regions. So joining me are Associate Professor Gurjeet Gill from the University of Adelaide, Dr Catherine Borger from the West Australian Department of Primary Industries and Regional Development and Associate Professor Bhagarath Chowan from the Queensland Alliance for Agriculture and Food Innovation at the University of Queensland. If I can start with you first, Gurjit, what was happening five years ago that prompted this research? I think the way to best describe it is that GRDC came to a conclusion that there were big gaps in our understanding of the seed banks of uh, many weed species, the second tier weeds especially, or sometimes we refer to them as emerging weeds. So a lot of work had been done on weeds such as ryegrass, and we understood their seed bank behavior, biology quite well. But then many other weeds, we knew quite a lot about their control methods and all the rest of it, but not how the seed banks would behave. And why seed banks are important, Chris, I guess comes down to the fact that seed bank is essentially the link between the current weed population and the future infestations that we see further down the track. So we do need to understand how they behave, how long they would last, and whether populations of even the same species would behave differently depending on what kind of management the grower has been using. How many weeds did you look at and why those particular weeds in general terms? Yeah. So we looked at roughly around 10 weed species in each region, 10 to 11. And the selection was based on a few different considerations. One was that they were causing issues for the growers. And two, that not too much was known about the behavior of their seed banks. So in fact, It was largely unknown, and growers were seeking information about those sort of issues because they were causing problems for them. There were a couple of species which overlapped between the regions, which in retrospect has been a good thing, that we've been able to compare how a species, for example, would behave in the northern region versus uh, southern or the western region. Okay, so let's have a look at some of the results. Uh, Catherine, over in the west, uh, can you give us an idea of some of the headline results for you? I think the real power of this project, Chris, is that we compared so many different species and such a range of species In this project, we all had a list of really diverse species, winter species, summer species, broadleaf, grasses, prostrate species, erect species, species with big seeds and small seeds. 
And this comparison of all the species has let us come up with some really good general rules of thumb. Things like all seeds last longer after you bury them. It doesn't matter if they're big, robust seeds like Afghan melon or really small seeds like sow thistle. That was constant across all the species. Another rule of thumb we saw was that emergence in year one is much, much greater for species with small seeds. Species like windmill grass, sow thistle, roly-poly, all had 90% emergence or higher in the first year after you put them on the soil's surface and let them germinate. The species that had more seed coming up in year two and year three were always those species with larger seeds, like brome grass, double G, caltrop. Another constant we saw is that yield impact varied between species, between years, seasonal conditions, but it was pretty closely related to emergence time. Those weeds that could come up at the same time as the crop had a huge impact on the yield. Whereas those species like barley grass, which often came up a few weeks after the crop, like double G or wireweed, which by harvest might be a huge healthy green mat and make your crop look really unimpressive. But still, if it had that initial delayed emergence, it did not have the same yield impact as brome grass or ryegrass that were coming up at the same time as the crop. Another good rule of thumb we found from looking at brome grass, barley grass, feathertop roads, is that seed shedding can be really, really variable. For species like annual ryegrass and wild radish, seed shedding is pretty consistent compared to species like brome grass and barley grass, where shedding can range from 0% to 100% at the time of crop maturity. It has some pretty amazing seasonal variation. I wasn't expecting that much variation in shedding time for some of these species. It surprised me. But what we did see is that any level of harvest weed seed control is better than no harvest weed seed control. So even if you're only catching 10 to 20% of seeds, it's still worth doing. Okay, Catherine, thanks for that. Bagarath, what about the northern region? What did the research turn up there? Yeah, hi, Chris. As Catherine mentioned, we also had winter and summer weeds. If I want to cover uh, winter weeds, we had three different weed species, common saw thistle or milk thistle as known by agronomists, Mexican poppy and turnip weed. I talk about common saw thistle or milk thistle. It had high seed production, superior competitiveness, but poor seed retention at crop maturity. And they are some of the strength of this weed, whereas it's poor emergence when it's buried or lack of persistence beyond two years. That was its weakness and which indicated that tillage as a management option can be used to minimize its infestation. Second weed was turnip weed, which was characterized by high level of dormancy, a moderate level of seed persistence, but had very highly superior competitiveness. However, it's late maturity, so it means high levels of seed retention at wheat harvest that offer the possibility to destroy its weed seeds by capturing its seeds or by crop topping. And the third one, winter weed was Mexican poppy, and it was very interesting species. It had high level of dormancy, high persistence levels, 
but for buried seeds only. They were some of the strength of this weed, but poor competitiveness. It never produced seeds in a wheat crop. It grew, but uh, did not produce seeds. And rapid depletion of surface seeds. Within a year, all 100% seeds depleted when they were present on the surface. And that offered potential to manage this weed by minimizing tillage in the infesting patches and by enhancing crop competition. If we come to summer weeds, they had characteristics of a high level of seed production and competitiveness. Again, I think I want to mention here, we had a mung bean crop in summer. So these all summer weeds were grown in a mung bean crop. So differences in weed maturity and their seed dispersal compared with the mung bean crop, which is around 90 days duration, that offer opportunities for management. For example, feathertop rose grass, which I believe is going to be our number one weed in the next four or five years, was highly competitive in mung bean. However, only less than 3% of seeds dispersed at crop maturity. So it means around 97% seeds were there on plants. So that indicates the opportunity for harvest weed seed control. Similarly, seed persistence of windmill grass and feathertop rose grass, that was lower compared to liver seed grass, button grass and summer grass or cup grass, which indicate the possibility to employ tillage for managing certain weeds. Other summer broadleaf weeds, we had bladder catmia, susbania pea and caltrop. They are characterized by high levels of seed dormancy, and that is mainly because of their hard seed coat. It means also high levels of seed persistence, seed production, and competitiveness in mung bean crop. However, high seed retention of uh, this susbania pea and caltrop at mung bean harvest that offers opportunity for seed capturing coinciding crop harvest or by sterilizing weed seeds through any methods, for example, crop topping or by employing crop desiccant like we do here in mung bean crop in such a way to sterilize immature weed seeds along with facilitating crop harvest. Thanks, Bhagrath. Uh, now, Gurjit, what about the southern region? What did you find there? Yeah, similar to my colleagues, we worked with 11 species, but we selected only winter weeds to work with. I won't go too much into the specifics because uh, our audience will see that in our seed bank manual, but just some general points that we, like other members of the team, found big differences in the behavior of uh, seed banks of these weed species, large differences in persistence on how long the seeds remained viable. Just to give you an extreme example, uh, one of the weeds we looked at was status, which is a weed on some of the saline areas in the Mali. It had the shortest seed bank life. I mean, basically within about three months, about 90% of the seeds had decayed. So it's a super fast disappearing weed. Very few seedlings came up in the second year, even under very dry conditions. On the other hand, the other extreme, we had species such as Bifora and Bedstraw, which were still charging along at the end of the project. So after four years, some of the seed bank was still viable. So they are the species which will carry through. Similarly, marshmallow, which is well known for long-term persistence, they were still continuing on. And the importance of that, I guess, is for growers to know that for some species, just a single year of all-out effort is not going to lead to basically a good management outcome. 
you really need to stick with these species, the long-lived ones, for a much longer period, three, four-year plans. The other thing we found in weeds such as brome grass and barley grass, that there was, again, evidence that farmers who have applied intensive cropping systems, so high selection pressure, they selected for populations with longer dormancy. So they are the slow emerging ones and also the ones that seed bank lasts for longer. Whereas others where we collected them from non-crop areas or pasture type background, the populations had lower dormancy. They came up in a big flush, so it would be a lot easier to kill them, for example, with a knockdown herbicide. Similar to Catherine, with the seed shedding behavior, we also found quite large differences from season to season. So I think that's really quite an important message that we farm, our farmers are cropping in a very variable climate. From year to year, we get seasons which can be at decile one or near drought type conditions to really bumper conditions. And that has a big bearing on the level of seed dormancy in some species, but more importantly in this context, in the shedding behavior, how early the seeds might start to shed. Now, we worked on barley grass similar to the Western region. Our shedding rates of barley grass tended to be as high as 90% at the low end maybe 60%. So our species of barley grass tends to shed much earlier, start shedding nearly 30 days or nearly a month before a grower could harvest. So it's not going to be a great species for weed seed capture or seed destructors. But as Catherine said, from the weed seed wizard work, the modeling work she's done, it shows that even a low level of seed capture up to 10, 20%, still means something worthwhile in terms of the longer term dynamics of the weed species. And pointing to some of the differences with the northern region, we had two weeds which were common with them, common sow thistle and turnip weed. Now, these two weeds were massively competitive in the northern region compared to us in the southern region. Catherine, what should growers take away from this work? Have they been doing their weed management well, or does what you've uncovered suggest a refined approach is needed? I think we've really seen in this project that some of these species can be very, very diverse. It's a very big country, and we're looking at dramatically different temperatures and climate and a lot of ecological variation. When we're looking at weeds like ryegrass, for example, or wild radish, there are some things that remain fairly consistent, and that makes management a lot easier. With some of these species, the amount of variation we've seen, even just between seasons, growing the same population in the same field, and the variation we see between the different seasonal conditions, particularly around shedding time, has been dramatic. For most of these species, a grower can't just ring up their local agronomist or agriculture department and say, give me a plan for managing this species, because what they have on their farm is not going to be exactly the same as what the agronomist knows or what the ag department staff member knows. So growers really need to be out there in the field, making notes on their own species so they can make management strategies that are aimed to their property. So 
it's harsh. They probably don't want to do it, but to a certain extent, to be successful weed managers, they need to be their own weed ecologist. And this manual is trying to give simple summary of weed ecological characteristics that anyone can take and consider when they're developing that management strategy. Bagarath, as we all know, uh, weeds in the northern region can be really problematic. What is this manual going to do for northern growers? We have got mostly summer weed species. They are grasses as well as broadleaf weeds. First of all, we did not really have detailed information on their biology before this project. Some of these weeds, for example, summer grass or windmill grass, feathertop rhodes grass, there was a mix of results from different studies. But here we studied different populations of each weed species. So in this manual, all information on seed biology is there. So seed biology is not only just dormancy and germination, there is also information on seed bank persistence of, for example, 11 weed species, including three winter weeds and eight summer weeds. And that can help farmers decide different operations, decisions for spraying, when they germinate, when they need to spray, also deciding about tillage system. Because if we have that information on their burial depth or what is the maximum depth from where they can emerge, farmers can implement then, you know, their tillage practices. So I think to me in this uh, manual, we have included all information on weed ecology, but it's mainly seed ecology. This information given in this manual may reveal some times in the life cycle of these weeds when they are more susceptible to chemical control or manipulation of the environment to reduce their competitive impact. Gurjeet, brome grass seems to be an emerging problem. Where is that becoming a problem and uh, how significant a problem is it likely to become? Yes, that's very true, Chris. Brome grass, well, has been a big problem in Western Australia for a long time, in large areas in the northern wheat belt, but also in parts of South Australia. But what we have been seeing, especially in the southern region, is the expansion in the soils and regions that it's occupying. So now basically uh, large areas of Air Peninsula into upper north parts of York Peninsula, even into Victoria. So what we're constantly hearing from growers is that it's expanding into soil types, which traditionally are the sandy soils, but it's moving into more of the medium textured soils. And I guess there is association between brome grass and no-till systems. So no-till systems and early sowing has favored this weed, and it has then expanded its ability to invade the non-traditional soils or areas where it was not an issue. It has some worrying features in that it's a highly competitive weed. So once you have it on your farm, you're going to notice it in your yields that you're harvesting, and other problems that it can cause, such as contamination of grain, for example, or some of the issues with livestock as well, with the fleece contaminations and so on. So it's a weed which has definitely expanded, and the reason for that is uh, some of the systems issues, such as no-till, early sowing, but also what we have shown in our research is that farmers, through their intensification of cropping, have selected for populations which are much, much more dormant than the old populations were, which means our knockdowns 
aren't working so well. And even some of the pre-em herbicides are not working as well because much more of the population is coming up later in the season. So all those factors, based on what we have seen, uh, appear to be helping this weed to expand its occupation range and cause more problems for the growers. Catherine, are you finding the same in WA? Yes, we certainly are. I think throughout the country, people are finding brome grass is an increasing problem. Gertie's right, the changing system is a lot of the problem. Some of it comes down to the fact that a lot of the herbicides we have for brome grass are for suppression rather than control. In WA in particular, we have a lot of very short crops. It's a low rainfall system and the short crops have less biomass and they have lodging resistance. So crops are probably less tall and competitive than they were back in the 80s and 90s. And as Gurdjieff has pointed out, brome grass is really, really competitive. Putting it in comparison to ryegrass, which we like to think of as our top worst, most expensive national weed, well, ryegrass is a tiny little pathetic plant compared to brome grass, which will emerge at the same time as a crop. And because the brome seedlings have such early vigour, they can be twice the size of a mace crop sort of three or four weeks after emergence. So that early competitive ability combined with late staggered cohorts, which we also see with brome grass, and the variable shedding and less scope for harvest weed seed control compared to a species like ryegrass, have made brome grass really difficult to control for growers. This is definitely an area where we need a bit more research to get it right. Bagraf, do you have a weed up there in the northern region that's similar to brome grass in terms of its threat? Yeah, we do not want this brome grass in our region, <laughs> but uh, I think we have got some of these weeds which are becoming now problem. And first, for me, this is the turnip weed, which was not really considered big weed, but now we can see this particular weed, turnip weed everywhere, even in chickpeas as well as in wheat. As Gurjit pointed out, I think in our region, this is very competitive. It grows very vigorously. And in our recent study, not in this project, but we found that its germination abilities starting from March until October, it can germinate at any time. It can produce seeds at any time. I think in the next few years, that will be our main winter weed species, and which I don't call that a winter weed because it is expanding its area. Second is another, which is not in this project, it's annual ryegrass, which is becoming problem in some areas in summer. And we have got another project funded by GRDC where we are studying its summer as well as winter biotypes. And in summer, I think we know a lot now about feather top, rhodes grass and windmill grass, but I think we need to still understand better and manage these weeds better because feather top, rhodes grass, will be our, I think, uh, one of the most problematic weed species in the next uh, two, three years. I'd like to turn now to harvest weed seed control. And I think it was you, Gurjit, who said that barley grass doesn't really qualify. But Catherine, I think, made the point that there are weeds that vary in their shedding times and could be captured by harvest weed seed control. So do you have a comment on that, Gurjit? Some weeds, such as brome, where we do get quite high level of retention in some cases, as 
Catherine has talked about, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to have equivalent success with harvest weed seed control unless our harvesting systems can separate that weed seed from the crop's grain. And we find with some weeds, because of their similar seed size, it can be quite difficult. So that's really a, a problem for the engineers who would need to take that on so they could improve the performance of harvest weed seed control against these other weeds, which are on the plant, but may not get separated easily from the crop grain. Other weeds in our southern system, such as Indian hedge mustard, wild turnip, they hung on to their seeds really well until harvest and they should be really good targets. So all this information about the relative success of this tactic on our weeds is going to be part of this manual. It is going to be a valuable resource for the industry, not just for the growers, but also the advisors when they're sitting down with their clients and they're trying to work out the weed management plans, looking at suitability of different tools. We didn't talk so much in our discussion today, Chris, about one aspect of the project, which is about the crop competition from the angle of weed seed production. So there are going to be some numbers in there in terms of how highly productive some of these weeds are given the opportunity. They can set thousands of seeds per square meter. And in some species with seeds lasting for three, four, five years, you know, you could very quickly end up with a problem, which is going to be a multi-year issue for you. Okay, well, thank you to the three of you for getting together and uh, talking about this. Uh, I think it's the most valuable discussion for growers and agronomists. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Associate Professor Gurjeet Gill and with Gurjeet were Catherine Borger from DPIRD in WA and Bhagarath Chowan from the Queensland Alliance for Agriculture and Food Innovation. Now you can find this manual on the GRDC website. Just go to the website and search for Ecology of Major Emerging Weeds and delve into the details of this research. Thanks for listening today. My name is Chris Brown. Music